everybody this is carl the producer uh we had over two hours of audio for this episode on uh brian townsend and tizzy lockman talking about upcoming senate stuff uh in the main episode i tried to edit down that down as much as possible but there were some things that were left on the cutting floor that i thought were still things that would be good to talk about so we have about 15-20 minutes here uh, talking about the Wilmington Learning Collaborative and education more broadly. Uh, so you get a lot hear a lot more from Tizzy, and you also get to hear a bit from Brian Townsend as well. And yeah, just releasing this as a separate episode because I think it was still a fairly good conversation. And, I, and I'm glad, Tizzy, that you're here because... I had in, I guess, when it, around the time it was getting announced, um, I had uh, Dr. Bohm on from the Red Clay School Board mm -hmm. to talk about the Wilmington Learning Collaborative. Yes. And on one hand, I'm I'm always uh, very suspicious of any kind of like thing that it's sort of like created out of out of nothing and, and doesn't really have <laughs> a lot of like, doesn't have a, a lot of teeth behind it sure. and it comes out of something that was like a task force or like a, a, a you know something um, but I do think this is important because mm -hmm. we have a very strange situation here where we have all of these disparate um, school districts overlapping into the city and cutting into the city so I like this idea of having some way to collaborate mm -hmm. um, can you just talk about where that um, where that effort is sure. how it's going to work you know, give us the give us the rundown, and if anything is going to be happening, sort of this session or this year, um, to sort of strengthen it. At all. Yeah. Well, no. Thank you for asking me that one, because um, obviously I care a lot about Wilmington education. That's my bread and butter, and I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for um, my engagement on that. In fact, fun fact, I think my first real political experience was uh, co-running um, Adriana Bohm's uh, campaign for school board, and one of my probably still proudest things I've ever done. But um, so, so yeah, the Wilmington Learning Collaborative, I probably a little bit limited on some of the details because I'm not directly involved with it. I do co-chair the Reading Consortium for Educational Equity um, that Representative Chakwocha and I uh, established or reestablished out of the cloth of the Wilmington Education Improvement Commission when we were both brand new in the legislature in 2019. Um, so we are kind of like a, a, a parallel, but very much, I think, we hope, a joining effort to, to what's going on there. So where the Learning Collaborative uh, stands is obviously, you know, it was approved by the three implicated school boards, Brandywine, Red Clay, um, and Christina. So it is happening. And right now what they're doing is they're putting people in the seats. There's no the colonial board. school. Wasn't there one colonial uh, school district uh school uh, over by the prison on the east side oh, a long time ago it hasn't operated as a colonial school in a long time there's still a colonial footprint over in that area okay. of wilmington but the kids are uh you know shipped out uh, to newcastle so okay. i think i think elementary school they attend. i'm old i mean you know yeah i'm wilmingtonian yeah. but old so we school. have some colonial students uh for sure but but so i think the implication it there is that colonial you know doesn't have as much um you know, invested in, in in terms of how many Wilmington students they have. So, so they're populating those seats. I know that we're seeing some appointments for parents. There's a parent seat from each district, um, and things like that. So those folks have to come together uh, in order for like the wheels to really start turning. Is my understanding. Um, you know, they need to hire an executive director to to run the whole 
effort. So I really think that's probably, from my outsider's perspective, where we're going to see things happening through the spring is really staffing up. Yeah, staffing up and and gearing up, which, um, you know, I'm very, very happy to see that. Of course, I think for all of us who work in the education space, like it's this sort of perpetual exhausting state of urgency because we know how important this is and we know how behind we all feel and are in terms of uh, making sure that all of our students are getting what they need and deserve. Um, But, you know, democracy and making sure that that things happen uh, in a way that's fully accountable and transparent can take time sometimes. Um, So I think that's what we're we're seeing, just watching that roll out. And then, of course, the Reading Consortium will continue to do what we have been doing, um, you know, alongside that, which is secure state funds to make sure that we are um, making additional investments in Wilmington schools. So stuff that we sort of saw as lower hanging fruit while we're waiting for all of this deeper um, policymaking to happen, the structural stuff that needs to happen. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure we were providing funds for things like wraparound services and uh, a whole, whole host of things I could easily talk an hour for, but that's not all we're here to do. Well, let me let me ask you a question on it. I, I'm, not, I'm already going to step in it because oh. I just have to do it. Uh-oh. There's a obviously a, there's a big interest called a we'll call it a stakeholder because that's what we call it right because we call it a stakeholder about school choice and charters and and I I I I understand the argument I think it's wrong um, I I do actually think it's bad mm-hmm. but I guess what I'm driving at and I think this is going to be a theme for a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is I think we're going to have to call out when something's not. Be, when, when something's clogging the drain mm. and there's a barrier to real progress mm-hmm. for regular schools, for, for anything mm-hmm. that's on your agenda, mm-hmm. we have to, I, I, I mean, there's not a lot you can do, you know, just from the Senate. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Absolutely. But shouldn't we be a lot clearer about where the direction of education funding should be, where the direction of resources should be, mm-hmm. where the direction of like all of this policy should be, because I think we don't, we, we sort of pander to the idea of school choice, and a lot of our friends and comrades have gone to a cab or gone to charter or whatever, mm-hmm. and so I, I get that, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real barrier to make the, 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 the public schools in this state decent. Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. and I don't know how we go about addressing that because I don't, I don't see a lot of people out there saying, actually, you know what, that's not good. Yeah, yeah. But, well, so I mean, again, that's the bread and butter thing I could spend hours talking about. I think probably one of the things that drove me to be interested in education policy was, uh, you know, that that growing segregation, both racial or just, you know, simply socioeconomic segregation in the schools, and obviously choice and charter are part of that conversation. Um, and we do, we, we absolutely skirt around that, that issue. I've been part of efforts, you know, like, like WIAC, where I don't know if we ever actually said the words out loud. Um, with the Reading Consortium in uh, the legislation that established the body, we do name certain things that we expect to be working on from a policy perspective. We did actually name Choice and Charter, um, though it hasn't yet to be um I, I would say come to fruition in terms of any policy recommendations, but the way I tend to frame it in our meetings, 
um, and our, our conversations is that we we keep talking about governance and then the redistricting aspect of the conversation always sucks all the air out of the room. People are very concerned about those borders changing and what does that mean? And that's like the whole thing. And I think what I think is evident, and I feel like I have these conversations all the time with um, folks in the education space, is that we know that those of us who've been students recently or those of us who are parents know that that the fact that we have universal choice has definitely in some way, um, you know, kind of become this really important overarching thing over the existing borders. You can cross those borders pretty easily with universal choice. Um, so we can't like have a real governance conversation if we don't talk about choice and charter, which essentially are student assignment policies. And there's a lot going on with student assignments, which is directly related to integration or segregation of schools that we have to be talking about. And no, you're, you're, we haven't, I don't think, had very explicit and clear conversations about that. Um, and I'm, I'm probably, I don't know if I'm trying to be diplomatic about it or what, but I just, I see it as part of the governance conversation. Redistricting is part of it, choice and charter. We wanna reconcile all these different dynamics to make sure we have a healthy school system um, where you know we're not putting have-nots in one building and haves in another and- Well, I'll tell you what. I'll you give know? you some. I'll give. I'll make some space for you because here's yeah. what I'm arguing. Uh-oh. I'm arguing that everybody that pays private school t- tuition should be should get a luxury tax. Okay. That'll help too, because I don't. I don't. I'm not a big fan of that either. Yeah. Yeah. So just so everybody knows, I'm pretty fair about like <laughs> any anything that's anything that's um, going to segregate and select. Mm-hmm. It's not good. And 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 it's and it only makes everybody complains about the schools, and that's kind of why they complain about the borders because they're like, oh, we're finally just in this thing, we're we're good. Oh, we don't want to lose this one little thing we have. They should all be good. It shouldn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yep. we have all of these things that we can't talk about about why they're they're actually not good. Sure, sure. So, but you know, you you gotta sometimes you gotta move forward. I think that's one of those policies where you know the the bag was opened, the cat got out. We got to figure out how to reconcile it for equity. Um, and I don't know that you know. Charters are, are going anywhere. I don't know that choice is going anywhere. What do we do to make sure that we have a landscape of schools that are going to serve all students? Um, and right well, now we have- you guys are legislators. You yeah. say they're not going anywhere. But, you know, these things all operate uh, under under a, a legal framework and, they and, do. and, a, and a state apparatus that, that, you know, you have to be, you know, uh, licensed or, I mean, maybe you don't. Maybe like the Odyssey situation, they just they go they, they go haywire. I don't know, but if fe- I feel like I don't like the idea of sort of like, hey, they're there. We have to. Yeah. I mean, we as a political as a political question. Yeah. We should make choices about what takes priority when we start talking about this. There's not sure. they're not equal they're not equal parts. I, I guess think is that's what fair. I, I don't know what what do you what Brian, do you think? What do you about think? It? I think that first of all, it's very sad. I mean, Delaware education system is. I, I like to think about it. Probably looks the the last way you'd want something to look if you drew from scratch. <laughs> yeah, it's pro- it's um, like the worst outcome. Yeah, it's just it's really it's just it's very sad. I mean, you know, decades yeah. and centuries of inequities built on top of all kinds of other. It just it's just a very sad situation. And I think to some extent, some of the questions you're asking about have been kind of pushed back a little bit because of like, for example, the ACLU lawsuit, which I'm very glad that a group was able to come together and have standing and bring a lawsuit and force change that quite likely would not have happened politically. But because of mm-hmm. because I think because of that process that was playing out, it kind of paused some of these conversations, uh, particularly on the funding side of it, which is different than governance and structure that Tizzy's talking about. But it, it kind of pushed that back a little bit because clearly there was some effort there that might result, and in fact, did result in a settlement. 
enhanced mm-hmm. funding, mm-hmm. and we're going to build on top of that as well. But it kind of, it, it kind of that, that became the focus for a, you know, a few years, two, three years maybe, give or take. Um, but no, I think in terms of what you're talking about, and I hear your point, like don't don't throw in the towel is what you're saying. Like don't. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and, that's but, fair. But just to be clear, fair. I'd say that, I mean, my district is, is, is very solidly Democratic. Um, and a lot of family, a lot of Democratic families down there, you know, support the concept of public schools, but make tremendous <laughs> use of choice and charter and VOTAC. Right. And so I don't know, you know, I think it's a very complicated political and policy issue um, to 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 change the structure of the system when, you know, even people who are, are very happy to vote for Democrats might not want the system changed all that much, especially in ways that might affect their family. And I'll just say one, one more quick example. I The one bill that I got the most backlash on for introducing to put my name on, uh, and usually my voters in the, my district are very happy with the positions that I, I take overall. I was like shocked at how many emails I received. I can't remember what year it was, 20, I don't know, 15, 16, 17. The, um, the bill to do away with uh, referendums. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if I was if it was a Senate bill and I was the main sponsor or if it was a House bill and I was the main Senate sponsor. I was pretty high up overall on the bill. I was like shocked at the number of, of solid Democratic voters from my district who were reaching out to me expressing how upset they were that I, I supported that initiative or was helping yeah. to lead that initiative. Given what I believe to be it's, it's another example of a very problematic structure in Delaware that we have referendums play the role that we, that they play on top of all the inequity, on top of all the um, divisiveness and lack of buy into the public schools, and then referendum be, being like a way to validate your feeling, you know, you know, kind of your, your ex-ante feeling about it. So just I bring that up as an example, the referendum, and I bring up the example of choice charter generally in my district to make the point just that, like, I don't, I don't necessarily think this is a lack of legislative courage in the face of um, like public clamoring for these changes. I think it's very complicated policy issues on top of complicated political issues that we could solve if we do all collectively, state legislature, um, school boards, state DOE, governor, maybe even city of Wilmington in particular, given the role of that municipality overall, but that's a whole separate it's like a subtopic. But if we all did a better job of saying like, look, we need you all to believe us that we now have this model we're gonna propose that's got you know, reasonably is going to work very well, that your family's not going to lose out, you know, in this. We can all, it's a win-win. There are win-wins right. out there. Here's how we structure it. Here's how we fund it. Believe us. And let's track the first few years to show you we are achieving the gains we've said right. we think we're going to achieve. Like, if we did that, I think we could we could solve it in the way you're talking about. Right. And I think it's one of those areas, I don't know, maybe this applies in other policy areas, but I think in education in particular, it's one of those uh, topics where people like desperately want change but seem to like fear change maybe just a shade more desperately than they they even want it I think it's because it's so it's really hard to to envision I guess the, the radical change that we could make and maybe that is just a failure of imagination like you're saying like don't don't cut yourself short in terms of like what we could do but there are all of these different dynamics and when I was working you know, as an advocate and doing some organizing in that space in Wilmington, I was surprised by some of the things that I learned by the folks that I wanted to serve with my advocacy in terms of what they wanted to see preserved versus what they wanted to see changed. So I think it, you know, it does take that that thoughtfulness. My hope is that we can figure out the right fix. And I, I don't want to be doing what we're now doing, which is looking back 20 years, looking back 40 years and questioning how those turns of policy got us into this quagmire. I want us to be like, wow, that was when we turned the corner. Yeah, yeah I think that's a great, I, I do think that's a great point mm-hmm. because I think a lot of the problem is people look backwards and to see like, what happened? What What did we do? Mm-hmm. What, what should we do? What's, that's, whatever's, 
we can only deal with what the situation as it is today and think of ways to make it better. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, people are going to have to have hard conversations about it. Oh, but yeah. I, I think that's fair. 